0: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you hear those words, how does that make you feel? You know, some people, when they hear those words, they, they cringe a little bit. Some people flat out just disbelieve it. And they pass it off as a mere myth of simple-minded people. Some people have doubt when they hear those words. Some people uh, feel uneasy. And yet some people believe when they hear those words. Why does it make some people uncomfortable to hear in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? I mean, it's a very simple statement. I think, though, that it makes some people uncomfortable because of what it implies. There are some very deep, very meaningful implications to this simple verse that we find at the very beginning of our Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Dr. Tom Askall said that this is the most subversive verse in all of the Bible. And I tend to agree. And you might wonder, well, what, what does it subvert? You know, it's, you know, it's something uh, that it subverts something else, or a person who is a subversive. Uh, that means that they tear down things. They, they obstruct things. What would this simple verse obstruct? What would it tear down? Well, it would tear down things that, that go against our pride. This verse fights against our pride. You hear people say, well, I don't need God Or people say, well, I'm my own man. Or they say even, God is a crutch for weak-minded people. This verse says, in the beginning, God. And it fights against all of those thoughts. It destroys our theories. This simple verse does. You hear people say, well, a scientist recently said this. Or this politician over here believes that. But this verse says, in the beginning, God. This verse brings down lofty arguments. People say, well, I heard a philosopher once say that God is dead. Or someone might say, well, Stephen Hawking said that we don't need to believe in God. Or Richard Dawkins said that it is foolish to believe in God. However, this verse simply stands. It says, in the beginning, God. This verse teaches us some very important lessons that I want you to take home today. Lesson number one is this. God is eternal. God is eternal. Creation is not eternal. Creation, you go back far enough in the past. There was a time when nothing had yet been created. Creation is not eternal. And this verse does not imply that God somehow entered a story that was already there. No, God Himself is the story. He is the story. You see, there is no story. There is no creation, there is no history, there is no humanity without God. This verse does not say, in the beginning, God began to exist. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, in the beginning, God began to exist. It doesn't imply that that God is some type of social construct built by ancient priests to maintain power over the weak-minded people. It doesn't imply that at all. Beginning and God didn't just happen to show up at the same time, but God created the beginning. God preceded the beginning in as much as we can ever fathom a beginning. And Genesis itself, this book that we're going to study over the next number of uh, weeks and months, Genesis is a book that is all about beginnings. And Genesis is more than simply, as some historians believe, that that it was an ancient Israelite answer to other uh, myths that were out there. And Genesis is that to a degree, but it's much more than that. Because Genesis is the truthful account of the origin of all things. And God Himself has no origin. God has no beginning. There was ne- never a time when God was not. There was never a time in which God did not exist, if you want to use that word. God, in fact, created time itself, which is an amazing concept to consider, that God created time Itself. In this book that we're going to study, Genesis, it is the chronicles of the origin of a lot of different things. Not just the origin of the universe, which it is that. Genesis chronicles the origin of the universe. Does it answer every scientific question that we have? No. It does not. But it makes it very clear that God is the origin of all things that we see in the universe and those that are left unseen. Genesis chronicles the origin of all the animals that are on the earth. It chronicles the origin of mankind, humanity. It chronicles God's plan for man as it unfolded in history. Genesis actually uh, chronicles right doctrine. Right, The origin of good theology. All good theology, all biblical theology, finds its source in this book we call Genesis. You have God showing up in chapter 1, verse 1. Creation itself in the same verse. You have humans showing up in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. You have the, the seed, if you will, of Jesus himself showing up in chapter 3, verse 15. In fact, I don't know if you understand this, but in the New Testament, the way the New Testament begins in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew talks about the origin of all things. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says, An account of the genealogy, the Genesis, if you will, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, The son of David, the son of Abraham. And you look over in in John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1. And we hear these exact same words, or at least we anticipate we're going to hear the exact same words as Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, you expect, if you've never read John's gospel before, that the next word will be God. But John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you come to understand that this Word that is called Word is actually the Lord Jesus Christ, right there at the very beginning. The book of Genesis tells us the origins uh, of our understanding The origin of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present. And we learn about the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We learn about the doctrine of sin in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 24. The doctrine of salvation again in Genesis 3, verse 15. And then later, when God Himself makes a covering. Provides an atonement, if you will, for the man and the woman who had sinned against him. You see, every Christian doctrine, every doctrine of the Christian faith, has its origins in this book we call Genesis. Every New Testament author quotes Genesis, or at least alludes to Genesis. In fact, in the New Testament, there are 103 allusions to the book of Genesis. And so Genesis is about, this, it's about the story of the origins of all things, but not the origin of God Himself who has no origin. And so we read in this verse, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. There's a second lesson I want you to know, and not only that God is eternal, but that this world is God's world. This world is God's world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This means that all things are created by God Himself. They're created by God Himself. God did not need any assistance. But everything exists because of him. And sometimes people wonder, well, well why? Why did God create everything? And, and sometimes I, I hear well-intentioned Christians trying to teach their children when their, their kids turn about four years old, and every word out of their mouth is either why, 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 or McDonald's, one of the two. And, and we don't know how to answer that question. You know, well, we tell kids, well, God created the world, Why? And that's a, that's a hard question to answer. And I hear well-intentioned Christians say, well, well, God was lonely. No, He wasn't. Well, God, was, God must have been bored. No, He wasn't. Maybe, maybe God needed something. No, He didn't. God is not lonely. God is not bored. God does not need anything outside of Himself. You see, being lonely and bored and needy, these are human qualities that we experience. And they are flaws. God has no flaws. God is missing nothing in Himself. But God created all things by Himself. And God created all things for Himself. Why did God do it? For his own glory. God is the owner. This world and everything in it is God's world. God is the owner of this entire universe and every creature and every molecule and every atom in this universe. God is the owner. And everything exists for him, or at least it should Everything exists to give God glory, to give God glory. And since God is the owner of this world, excuse me, and since this world is God's world, it implies a third lesson, and this is very important, that God rules over this world. He's the ruler. He's the owner and the ruler of this world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As ruler, what that means is this. And this, I believe, is why some people become uneasy with this idea that God created the heavens and the earth. It implies this, that God has the right to make assignments of His creation. God has the right to tell His creation what to do. God does this in nature. Some of God's rules are revealed in nature. God said to Job in Job chapter 38, he asked him this question, Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and total darkness its blanket. When I determined its boundaries and put bars and doors in place. When I declared, you may come this far, but no farther. Your proud waves stop here. Think about that. Who was it that created the law of gravity? Who was it that created inertia? Who was it that created all of the things that we see and experience in nature? All of the rules of the universe? It is God. It is God Himself. God established these rules. Why? Because He's the ruler. This is the way things are. Some of God's rules are not simply revealed in nature, but they're revealed specifically in Scripture. In Psalm chapter uh, 24, verse 1, we read, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. Every one of us belong to the Lord. And if you want to go your own way and and you want to rebel against God, you belong to the Lord. He created you. He owns you. He rules over you. And the very fact and the idea that you can be rebellious against the eternal God of the universe is simply a testimony to his patience and grace toward you. God is the ruler. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, we as humans are commanded this. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God has elevated humanity to a greater status than any other part. Of creation. and if there's any attempted violation of God's rule, if there's any attempt to usurp His authority, it is a spiritual crime against God, an attempted disruption of his authority. You see, in, in certain spheres of our lives, God has granted certain people or institutions limited authority. But that authority comes from Him. God extends some of His authority to others. And God has ordained others in those spheres to submit to those that He has placed in that authority. But ultimately, God the Father has given all authority to God the Son. Jesus said so in the Great Commission. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So many of us think the Great Commission begins in the next verse when Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. No, the Great Commission begins in verse 18, not verse 19. The Great Commission begins with this understanding that all authority, unrestricted, has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is on that authority that we are to go and make disciples of all peoples. But there are others in our lives, others in our world, that have a degree of limited authority that is ordained by God. Citizens of a human government are to submit to their governing leaders. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Children to their parents, servants to their masters, and church members to their pastors. And we do this, we submit, so that we honor the Lord Jesus Christ, because He's the one ultimately with all authority. Our submission to Christ Jesus, it actually sets us free from having to submit to false authorities or to those that would abuse their privilege who would take the authority that God has given them and use it for tyrannical ends. You see, when civil authorities become tyrants, or when husbands become abusers, or when parents become antagonizers, or when masters become brutes, or when pastors become manipulators, we must remember... That although in other circumstances we are to submit to them, that ultimately our greatest and ultimate submission is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ gives us the freedom to respectfully address the misuse of authority by those who would otherwise have authority over us. Christ, in fact, gives us the freedom, if necessary, to defy tyrannical authority. Why? Because it is God who rules this world. Not a political party. Not a commander-in-chief. Not his handlers. It is God who rules this world. And it is our job as those who willingly submit to the rule of God in this world to remind the world of God's rule over them as well. You see, today, everywhere we look, there are signs that our society, all of Western civilization, is returning to paganism. Paganism is always marked by an attempted elevation of self or an attempted elevation of false gods to God's throne. You hear it when people say, my body, my choice. No. Your body belongs to God. You hear people say, well, my doctor assigned me the wrong gender at birth. No. God assigned you the right sex at your conception. All throughout our society, you hear people fighting against the rule of God and His created order. In this simple verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It makes those who want to rebel against God's authority cringe. They don't like it because it puts them in their rightful place as creatures, even elevated human creatures, but as creatures who are not themselves the ultimate authority. Of their lives. There's a fourth lesson. And it actually gets into the next verse. Verse 2. And it's this lesson. In the beginning, God was not finished. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is not the end of the story. But you might guess it is the beginning of a greater story. And we see that story begin to unfold in the very next verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now. The word now sort of sets us up for like what's, what's going on, what's missing. Now, the earth was two things. Formless and empty. And then we have a third dynamic darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of god was hovering over the surface of the waters you see even though in genesis chapter 1 verse 1 god created all things out of nothing the earth and the universe needed some more work and there were these three outstanding issues that the earth was formless. That means that there was no order. It was a wasteland. The earth was empty. That means it had no good content. And you take these two things, the idea of a, of a wasteland and something without good content, and you discover something that God is going to address in the, in the creation week, is that the earth was uninhabitable. It was not yet ready for humans to be there. And then there was that third issue, darkness filled the land. By the way, those same three terms, formless, empty, and darkness, these happen to be the same words that are symptomatic of a person who's trying to live his or her life without God. Think about that. Have you ever heard or you ever felt like this? My life feels like a waste. My my life feels like I'm just, there's no structure to it. That I'm just existing and nothing else. Or have you ever heard someone say, my life feels empty. I'm empty in here. No matter how much money I make, no matter what status I have, I'm empty inside. Or have you ever heard someone say, I I feel like I'm in a place of darkness. I feel depressed, dark, alone. Those words indicate a life without God. And if this is true of you, Today, if you feel like your life is a waste and it's empty and it's dark, what you need to do is come to God. God is drawing you to himself. You need to come to God through Jesus Christ. God will give your wasted life purpose. He will turn your emptiness into satisfaction And God will bring spiritual light into your life. The earth itself in verse 2 was inhabitable for life. But I want you to go back to verse 2 again. I want you to see one thing there on the slide. Look who's there in verse 2. At the end of verse 2, who's there? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. He's hovering over the waters of chaos in verse 2. It's as if he's standing ready to start a great transformation. You can almost sense the expectation, the anticipation that something big is about to happen. Because even though Things are a waste, and they're empty, and it's dark. The Spirit of God is there. When the Spirit of God begins to move, things become transformed into something brand new. And I want you to understand what was true at the beginning of creation is true today in a different way for you spiritually Because just as, in verse 2, the Spirit of God was standing at the ready, if you will, to deal with the wasteland and the emptiness and the darkness of creation, He stands ready today to transform your life if you will simply yield yourself to Him and say yes to the Lord. You saying yes to the Lord begins with acknowledging Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and all that it implies. What does it imply? It implies that the eternal God owns you, He rules you, and He loves you. God created this world. Don't you believe that He loves His creation? And that includes you as well. And so your job, your responsibility, your task, your response to God is this, to believe in Him, to honor the Son of God and surrender to Him. What does it mean to believe in the Son of God, to believe in Jesus? It means these very three simple things. It means to believe who Jesus is. Who's Jesus? He is the eternal Son of God. He is God in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. It means to believe in what Jesus has done. What has He done? Ultimately, Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sins. He rose from the grave to give you eternal life. That's what He's done for you. He died and rose from the grave. Do you believe that? To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ also means that you believe enough in your heart to follow Him as your Lord. In fact, He's not only just your Lord, He's the Lord over all. Many people don't recognize Him yet. They will someday. But Jesus is the Lord. Do you believe enough in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not just to say, Oh yeah, I believe this doctrine who He is, and I believe what the Bible says He did for me. But do you believe enough to follow Jesus? If you do, then you believe. In the Lord. As Christians, you and I need to stand for the truths of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You know, when you and I shirk away from our responsibility to tell other people the truth, we do the world no favors. We do those who need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ no favors when we do a soft shoe dance around the truth. But as Christians, I believe that we need to make a choice. We either need to live and speak and even vote as if there is an eternal God who owns this world and rules over it, or we can live and speak and vote as if God does not exist. So anything goes. God has not spoken on marriage, God has not spoken on sexuality. God has not spoken on order. He has not spoken on parenting. He's not spoken on any of these things. That's the message that we might as well send the world if we refuse to speak up. If we refuse to say and tell this lost and dying world, tell those friends of yours that are lost and confused and they're in darkness what the truth of God is. If we fail to stand for the truths of God's Word, then we'll be denying them ourselves. To fail to warn and correct others is to fail to love our neighbor. And the same God who created the heavens and the earth in the beginning, He tells us to love Him first and others next. We must love people enough to be willing for them to reject us Because we tell them the truth of what God says. And so I'm inviting you Christians to stand with the God of all eternity. Stand with the God who owns all things. And stand with the God who rules all things.